This episode brought to you by the following patrons. Danielle Damasaurus, Taco Cat, The Letter Jeff, Awesome Possum Blossom, Amy, Matthew, William, Brandon, Dave, Scott, Tristam, Kate, Isaac, Ori, Karun, Eddie, and Nick B. But because it's that special time of month, Mikey, it's also time to <laughs> shout out the You Can Get It level sponsors. And they are as follows, not in alphabetical order or by listed by importance. Here are their names. Christina, sorry, I was bringing them up. Could you tell I was stalling for time? Christina, <laughs> Lisa, Andrew, Jessica, Irene, Tyler, Tia, Laura, Juan, Jenny, Ashley, Richie, Casey, Lauren, Megan, Daisy, Keep up the good work. Mandy, Elisa, Jennifer, Chris, and Veronica. And all the patrons want you to know that you're loved, you're listened to, and you're a valuable member of this awesome Horror Virgin community. And if you want to hang out with us, join the Facebook group and Discord server where we sort of like chat daily. It's awesome. Just another hilarious day here at Horror Virgin where we discuss child murder. <laughs> Mikey, that's usually something you're into. I did in my notes when it has those paintings of the pale man eating the children and, and murdering the children. I was like, oh, he's pulling a Mikey. <laughs> I like my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back. Ribs. Ribs from the back of a child. Punch that child in the face. Barbecue right in the sauce. face. <laughs> the worst is when you get barbecue sauce in your eyes because your eyes are in your hands. <laughs> That's why he was keeping his eyes on the plate right next to the wet naps. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Horror Virgin. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your Horror Virgin, Todd, which means I don't like scary movies, but you guys make me watch them and this week the listeners made us watch pan's labyrinth Labyrinth. which we should talk about up front this is not at all a horror movie right not like a traditional sense but like the darkness of humanity is horrible (laughs) i mean yes there were some horrible things that happened yeah i don't want to hear any shit about me picking terminator ever fucking again (laughs) and guess what Guess what? What? Guess what? Hit him with the truth. I'm picking Jurassic Park and I don't give a fuck. I am excited about watching Jurassic Park, but since we watched this movie, I'm also picking Schindler's List. (laughs) (laughs) If the horrors of man count, I mean, I. If the horrors of man count, we could have done the hottie and the naughty on the horror virgin. Don't make me laugh. It's the thing that should not be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about this movie, though. It was the first time I had seen it. Had you guys seen it before? I had actually not seen this before. I had seen almost everything else that Guillermo del Toro has ever made, and I had not seen this one. And it was one of those ones that I just, like, kept meaning to get around to. And I think I was too scared to see it when it initially came out. Okay. And I loved it. Like, I was like, how have I missed this? Like, I wish I would have watched it back then. I had such a great time watching this not-horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) liked it a lot uh found out something in fun facts because i was getting a very this movie gave me a very similar vibe to another story and i was like this is really interesting and then come to find out we'll talk about it in fun facts guillermo del toro was offered that other story to direct at the same time as this movie and turned it down no shit okay so yeah very very cool so mikey had you seen it before 
Yeah, I saw it when it uh, first came out. It got a lot of buzz. It, it did. was like yep. really big. It won a ton of Oscars. It, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to see it, and I did. And I remember liking it, but like also I was like, I probably won't watch this again. <laughs> I probably won't start a podcast one day and be forced to watch this again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just makes me sad. It is a sad movie. I though I really liked it. Well, okay, there are things about it I didn't like, and we'll talk about them as we go through it. But I think overall, I really liked it. And I've seen The Shape of Water. That's the only other Del Toro movie I've seen. Oh, that's like his worst one. No, Shape of Water is pretty good. I w- so having seen The Shape of Water, which is like his more recent film, or a more recent film of his, this is like the first movie I, I saw of his. I didn't see it at the time, but like this is the first time I heard his name, right? So I was right. expecting this to be similar aesthetic, but like not nearly as like visually pleasing. Mm-hmm. It was so good. Like I, I think a lot of the imagery in this is like on par with his newer stuff. Like he's very, very good. He's like very, very talented. And I wish I had gotten turned on to him earlier. I was surprised that there was so little of the labyrinth in this, given the title. (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like The Shining in that sense, where they establish this thing and then don't really go back to it till the very end. I think there's an argument to be made that this is really a movie about the horrors of war on the family and the kind of wide-eyed wonder of children. Sure. And that she's not actually seeing any of it it is a figment of her imagination oh yeah and she just straight up dies at the end it's real sad yes that's exactly what happened yeah this sounds terrible i do believe that is what happens i don't believe she goes to the kingdom which is very sad yeah no if if she had it would not have gone back to them grieving her right that would have been the end because she has now transcended into whatever like Right. That's not what happened. I would have liked an end where Pan like saw him come into the maze behind her and just fucked his shit up. Oh hell yeah! Like beat his ass. Like Pan yeah. had been real. It had all been real the whole time. And mm-hmm. it's not Pan, is it? Like is that Pan? It, it's a fawn, and I have notes on why. Okay, because it's because... only called pa- Pan's Labyrinth in English. Religion. Yeah, it's called Fawn's Labyrinth. So that guy is his name Pan or is his name Fawn? No, no, no. He's he's a fawn. He's just a fawn. But I've I have notes on why they used the word Pan. They thought. Americans would recognize it more and I was like you give Americans too much credit way too much credit for knowing mythology we are notoriously stupid I would have loved it if a pan quote-unquote or the fawn had fucked up the captain or the lost boys had popped out Tinkerbell had blinded him and they had stabbed him in the stomach and run away I got confused on which pan it was sorry (laughs) I, I, even though it is sad, yes, it is sad. I think it makes the movie better. It made me like it more because I was like, oh, this is incredibly nuanced and beautiful and I love it. I also like that it's about the Spanish Civil War, which is happening right after World War II. Mm -mm. And in America, Mm -mm. before, mm -mm. before and during. Nope. It ended in 39. It started in 35, ended in 39, or 37, 39. This is post-Civil War with just Rebels in the Woods. Because this, right, this right, movie right. takes place in 44, right? Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, this movie takes place in 44, right around the same time. Like, her dad died in the Civil War. Right, right, right. Yeah. But this is, you know, it is technically after the Civil War, yeah. but yes. it is a war that continues, essentially. Yeah. Like guerrilla warfare, absolutely. Yeah, and we don't get a ton of movies in America about that war which is weird because Hemingway wrote a lot about it and fought in it yeah he fought in it and this is actually del Toro's second film about that war yeah 
And and he has a third one. It's a trilogy. This is the second movie in a trilogy. Oh no shit. I didn't realize Pacific Rim was about the Spanish Civil War. That's wild. <laughs> I actually hey, hey, no shade. I love Pacific Rim. So did I, honestly. Saw it in the theater twice. But A, I really liked that because we don't see a lot of that in America. But B, it made it remind me of the story I was thinking of even more because that story is similarly about children in World War II. Yeah. Is it the boy in the striped pajamas? It's not sad like that, but it's more fantasy of like children during World War II, the world is crazy and they escape into fantasy. And so like with that in mind, watching this, I loved this movie. I thought it was great. Yeah, so it sort of reminds me of the movie Life is Beautiful in the sense that it's terrible things going on and, like, a kid is making it through because of his imagination. Mm. Uh, And in Life is Beautiful, it's his dad, like, convincing him that the concentration camp they're in is just one big game. And it's just, like, so sad and horrible. Brutal. But in this, like, she's escaping into her own fantasies because her life is so terrible, you know? Right. This movie's super sad, man. It is, but it's also so good. And I enjoyed watching it the whole time. Like, knowing it was sad, I was just like, this is fantastically done. Good job. Good job, (laughs) Guillermo. Can I tell you what my favorite Guillermo del Toro work is, though? Uh, Yes. His work on Always Sunny. What? Did you guys know about this? Did not know about this, but I must know everything immediately. Oh, oh, you didn't know that Guillermo del Toro is Pappy McPoyle? On Always Sunny. <laughs> what? He's a McFoyle. He's the one with the bird that he sends to snatch people's eyes out. He's been in like two episodes. I was wondering where they got the eyes for that tray in, <laughs> in this movie. That makes complete sense. I think that's why they do, because that's his second episode. The first one is the McPoyle wedding, yeah. which is a crazy episode. And so he's Pappy McPoyle, who's like going nuts at the wedding. And then uh, during... They go to trial about that wedding and he's (laughs) at the trial and it turns out that the bird that he keeps under his top hat snatched people's eyes out of their sockets. I remember both of those episodes. I I love Sonny. (laughs) It's so funny. I did not realize that was him. That's amazing. Yep, yep, yep. I love it when people don't take themselves too seriously. Yeah, same. I think that's the most important thing about anyone in general. Like people who take themselves too seriously, I don't want to hang around. Oh, you mean like? The fascist captain from the movie. That dude had no chill. <laughs> he was terrible. <laughs> yeah. He is the monster in this film. He is. He fully is. He was yeah, scarier yeah, yeah. than the hand eyeball guy. Yeah. Can you imagine masturbating with eyes on your hand? Honestly, it sounds great. It was kind of hot. <laughs> <laughs> You're seeing it directly up close. So, like, just like people on my Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe we should just get into this movie so we can talk about how harrowingly depressing it is. And that's all the jokes I've got, so you let's go. You blew your wad this early <laughs> on Snapchat dick pic jokes? Yeah, well, didn't you see it with your hand eyes? <laughs> <laughs> so we open on the sound of kind of heavy breathing, and we get a title card that says Spain 1944. The Civil War is over. Hidden in the mountains, armed men are still fighting the new fascist regime. Um, Which, fun note, when I was in Spain, we spent like three days, like right around where this was filmed. Oh, yeah? But also where it's like set, because they filmed it where it's supposed to be. Oh, cool. So 
uh, we see a girl's face sideways with a bloody nose, and then we see that blood go in reverse. As we hear voiceover tell us a story. A long time ago in the underground realm, where there lies, there are no lies and no pain, there was a prince who dreamed, princess who dreamed of the human world, of blue skies, soft breezes, and sunshine, and one day she escaped. Once outside, the bright sun blinded her and erased her memory, and she forgot who she was and where she came from. And she was mortal, or basically she ends up becoming mortal yeah. and dies. Uh, but her father knew that her soul would return in another body in a different place and time, and he would wait for her until the world stopped turning. So we cut to that same little girl from that first shot with the bloody nose sitting in the backseat of a car reading next to her mother, who is pregnant and very sick. Yeah, very pregnant, too. Yeah, super, super pregnant. Yeah. Also super full of barf because they have to stop the car <laughs> and she goes outside to just decorate the forest floor with her lunch. I'm so glad they didn't show it. I hate when movies show it so much. I do, too. I, yeah, I, I don't like seeing it. But while she's out there, this is when she sees the, uh, it looks like a flying praying mantis. Oh, okay. So they stop the cars. They all get out. Ophelia, who's the girl, yeah. uh, walks down the path a little bit. And steps on what looks like a rock and she picks it up and it kind of looks like an eyeball and she walks a little bit further and there's a statue that's missing a chunk right where the eyeball is. Right. So she puts that chunk of rock back into the statue and then a super fucking gross bug comes out of that statue's mouth and flies away. And she's like, I saw a fairy. And I'm like, bitch, are you dumb? That's a terrifying bug. <laughs> also, <laughs> she's a child, Paige. She's not dumb. it's a gross bug i would have like burn it i would have failed the fawns challenge because i would have been like uh no and you can keep your giant bugs away from me thank you i definitely would have failed when i had to go into the creepy tree and like feed a toad Ah! rocks i'd have been like yeah i'm just gonna go i would have fed that toad I'm now just picturing the Mikey putting his balls in his hand, the toad snatches the balls away, and then Mikey just bleeds to death. Like, he just steals Mikey's testicles. I just hold my hands up, and there's just balls. <laughs> I wish you guys could see Mikey, like, hold his hands up to his face like the, the creature in this movie. I like that even though they were balls, you still put them where your eyes were. <laughs> I mean, Paige, it is what leads him. <laughs> it's what leads us all. <laughs> anyway, they end up getting back into the car. They drive the rest of the way. Yeah. And the not fairy, the terrifying bug, follows them. Yeah. And back in the car, her mom is basically like, hey, when we get there, greet the captain and call him father. Ugh. They arrive at the captain's. I'm going to say compound is basically what this is. It's like a forward operating base they set up in someone's house that they probably evicted. Yeah. Yeah. Evicted. Oh, yeah. Big air quotes on that. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I I think it was maybe murder because they are evil. Like the fruits (laughs) of of the the devil. devil. (laughs) Yeah. No, agreed, Paige. I mean, they're fascists. They're not great. Yeah. Well, Todd, we're going to take us a good stance on fascism. So brave. Todd says fascists are dot, 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 great. One of the saddest lines in this movie to me are where the uh, rebels are like talking about how uh, Eisenhower and the Americans landed on D-Day and they're like, they're going to help us soon. Nope. Nope. They didn't go to Spain at all. 
that fascist government in Spain was like there till like mid seventies. Yeah, Francisco Franco killed a hell of a lot of people. Yeah. It's woof. Yeah, uh, it's dark. Yeah, because he didn't invade other countries, right? That is essentially why. Yeah, Americans' Who's foreign that? policy typically is like if you kill your own people, we're sort of fine with that. Yeah, unless you have oil, in which right. case, give it to us and we'll call it freedom. Ah. Uh. I mean, if you want to, we can look. Okay, so yeah, if you look at like Iran in the '60s when you had like women at the beach wearing bikinis, and then they discovered oil, and we were like, "Ooh, we want some of that," and they were like, "Well, you have to pay us a lot for it," and they're like, "Well, why don't we just like turn over your government and then turn around and go back to war with you over that religious government?" Because turns out, religious extremism is bad for everybody. Our bad. Sorry, world. I Oops. think now I'm not a, an expert in <laughs> Middle East history. I believe we. Interfered in their democratic elections, elected their president. They had a revolution against that president because we interfered. He fled to America, and we wouldn't yeah. give him back. And then that's why the religious revolution happened, I believe. That actually is true. Yeah, I learned that from watching the movie Argo. Yeah, Ar- <laughs> oh, But let's talk about this movie. Yeah, so uh, they arrive at the compound, and uh, the captain who... This is how you know immediately that he is an unbridled monster is because he's just like. Because he has a really good looking uniform. I mean, yes. Yeah, but those pants are definitely tucked into those boots. It's a real fascist move. You could tell the evilness of a regime based on like how good looking their uniforms. Just ask Hugo Boss. (laughs) I was about to say, Paige, they call that the Hugo Boss scale. Like the more boss you look, the more fascist you are. The more evil you be. The more Hugo you look, the more cool it is. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're Hugo on the scale, you're like a doughboy, like very drab right. brown uniform. Yeah. If you're boss, you're like a Nazi. Like that's the you're, scale. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Maybe yeah. a Nazi, baby. So if you haven't seen that sketch, and I forget, uh, it's like the David and Webb joint or whatever. It's like David Webb and somebody else. Is that the one where he's like, "Are we? Are we the bad guys? Yeah. There's like, like a skull and crossbones on yeah, our uniform. Yes, oh, it's yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Those two guys are the guys who did the show Peep Show, which is amazing. You guys should check it out. But they also have a sketch comedy show that's very, very funny, whose name escapes me. But yeah, you can very, very clearly see that the captain is one of the baddies immediately. Well, and because he's like, you're 15 minutes late. And I'm just like, well, now and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, because if they're late, they probably got taken by gorillas in the forest. Like Jane, uh, what's her <laughs> Like Jane Goodall, yeah. Uh... Oh, I think you meant like George of <laughs> the Jungle's Jane. My bad. Oh, we're watching that. That ain't a horror movie either. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Brendan Fraser looking super sexy, isn't it? Here for it. Yeah. Did we watch The Mummy? It's as horror as this is. It's more horror than this is. So he, I think, is worried about them being attacked in the forest, and that's why he's timing them. But as we will find out, she was too far into her pregnancy to really be traveling. And so the fact that he's demanding that they come to him anyway. At the front of a battle war? Yes, is not great. Oh, no, he's a terribly selfish, horrible dude. He is a crab and he's a bad person. <laughs> now I'm just picturing him as a crab. I don't understand why he's a crab. Because you said he's because... a, self, a shellfish oh, and a yeah. bad person. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, my bad. <laughs> you are 15 minutes late. Click, 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 click. Do you want me to use prawn when we redo the joke? I see him as a prawn. No, because the prawns are his underlings. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, they're there 15 minutes late, and he makes her sit in the wheelchair. Old Tommy wheelchairs creep me out. This is the scariest part of the movie. Is it because <laughs> a little child gets murdered at the end of this movie, and you're like, oh, that wheelchair is the creepiest part of it? <laughs> is it because of the changeling? Yes. <laughs> yes. Ah, <laughs> uh, man, I'm so glad we had that coal cart discussion in that episode. <laughs> no cuts. But you know who does cut people? Crab Nazis who are. <laughs> Now I'm just picturing that crab with a serrated knife, like that thing where a crab has a knife in its claw, <laughs> wearing this uniform. We shall unite the seven seas. <laughs> we the seven seas. Oh, oh, who lives in a compound right out of the woods? <laughs> crab man, captain. <laughs> you have to put in your your misspokenness in one part to keep the rest of the joke. I probably will, just because there's so many good jokes that line up to that. You <laughs> bastards. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you know what they call the people that they sacrifice on the front lines? Popcorn shrimp. <laughs> Popcorn shrimp. You son of a bitch. <laughs> this is what happens when you misspeak one time on the podcast. <laughs> not not to bring it super down and get way too serious oh, about no. it. Speaking of killing people on the front lines, it very much seems like and maybe we'll talk about this at a later point in the movie. I don't think ophelia's father died just regular in war oh you don't i mean we got the impression that he died because of the war sure like it wasn't like he got cancer during the war and died of like what you might call a quote-unquote natural causes like he was murdered by the fascist regime or the captain one of the two yeah i mean i could definitely see that i don't know if there's a lot of stuff that substantiates that in the movie although i would have liked to have seen that there kind of is, and we'll talk about it when we get to it, because it is much later. Shit, that's real sad, because then he kills the father, Ophelia, and the mom. The father yeah. and Ophelia with a gun, more than likely, and the mom with his dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This movie made me think a lot about how women have not had a lot of great options until recently. <laughs> That's Thank right, you. ladies. You're welcome. Mikey's on the market and looking for love. <laughs> if you want a good option, come on down to Horror Virgin Date Night. Uh, I, I just want to say that I feel vindicated for our Ever After episode, <laughs> but where I had to explain what it was like to be a widow in the the before times in the before full <laughs> we don't know what it was like to be a widow in like that alternate universe earth that ever after takes place in it takes place at a point in history it tells us when it takes place but where in the multiverse <laughs> we are not going to relitigate ever after you bastards we are moving <laughs> on <laughs> i tried to be nice to women one time <laughs> and of course Paige ruined Paige it turned Mikey. it back around <laughs> This is why people hate y'all And make you sleep with people to stay safe <laughs> Bastards When we rise up and kill you all I hope you know you had it coming I hope before a group of ladies kills Mikey and me They look at at least me and say You were one of the good ones and then kill me. <laughs> uh, I just I just know that this woman was probably the most attractive woman in Spain. <laughs> I think you're forgetting about Penelope Cruz, but okay. <laughs> 
1944. Paige, I don't know if you saw this in your fun facts. The baby at the end of this movie who's never going to learn his captain dad's name, that is actually Penelope Cruz's father. <laughs> well, back to Penelope Cruz's origin story. So they get to the <laughs> compound and she reaches out her hand to shake the captain's hand and he just like grabs her hand and crushes it. Yeah. And he's like, it's the other hand. But like physically crushes it, not like he crushed the handshake. Like, man, that was such an awesome handshake. He crushed it. No. He he hurts her hand to correct her and tell her that it's the other hand. Which at first I thought maybe like he had a, like a deformed other hand or whatever. And she was like trying to like be mean to her stepdad or whatever. Like, yeah, why don't you shake it with your deformed hand, you freak? And then I just realized he's just a dick. He's like a horrible dude. He doesn't have a deformed hand. But if he did, she would have probably been like, hello, my name is Ophelia Montoya. <laughs> you definitely killed <laughs> arranged for the death of my father prepare to die uh so they get the i guess made I, I i feel like she's like nanny cook made like i got the impression she's head of household yes i think you're right yeah uh mercedes to bring the luggage and as she does, we find that the evil, disgusting bug has followed them. <laughs> well, we see it follow them when they drive away. It, like, zooms after them. Yeah, but yeah. it catches up with them in the compound. And Ophelia tries to catch it. She runs into the woods after it. Yeah. And there, she finds a spooky arch and a creepy maze with a gargoyle in the arch that looks kind of like Pan, question mark. It looks like the fawn. It's, it's yeah. the fawn's labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah. And Mercedes catches up with her and is like, it's a labyrinth. Uh, it's always <laughs> been here, even before the mill. Don't get lost in it. Your father needs me. Push the button to go to the next part of the tour. And <laughs> I do like that because I... Listen, I've had two stepdads in my life. One is great. One was horrible. Was the horrible one a captain in a fascist regime that murdered a bunch of the local populace? Uh, he was lieutenant colonel, if that... Uh-oh. So he's not really a trust station. <laughs> uh, yeah. Actually, no, I think he retired as a colonel, but when I knew him, he was lieutenant colonel. So at one point, he was your pop colonel? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this movie's so sad. My mom and him were only married for ten years, and they were fully horrible. Only ten. <laughs> only ten only years. A full decade. Only longer than some people live. He's the reason that <laughs> like I, this child in this like movie. Ophelia, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's the reason I moved up to Nashville to live with my dad, though, mm. because he was terrible. Like physically abusive terrible plus you were also following this weird bug i thought it was a fairy even though it fully was like a, just a big grasshopper yeah was anyone else expecting david bowie <laughs> a little bit with the clear balls yeah <laughs> on his head yeah <laughs> disco ball <laughs> i'm sorry todd that you went through that oh i'm glad it's over i mean it's fine. He retired to Alaska, and I never will talk to him again. So, <laughs> Plus, they served him with melted butter. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not dead yet, but that's probably the next time I'll hear his name, which is fine. Mm. But he's the guy—I'm going to cut this, but he's the guy who, like, he is really big on the Alaskan Republican Party. When like, he went to D.C. for the uh, nominating committee for Trump, and there was, like, this whole thing about how the Democrats didn't pray before their nomination or whatever. And he was supposed to lead the Pledge of Allegiance, and he went up there and gave, like, this two-minute talk 
talk about how it's sad that the God has left the Democratic Party and like that they didn't do it. And I'm, I'm fully watching this like this man beat me, threw me against a wall and dropped me on nails and I had to get stitches in my feet. Like, this is fucking disgusting. Oh, my God. I've been making fun of you about your feet, and they're <laughs> the result of a child abuse. <laughs> that was the bottoms of my feet, though, Mikey. You've never seen the bottoms. I can't I... even imagine if they're worse than the tops. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Actually, they healed up really well. Like, you can't even really tell. They healed up? Yeah. <laughs> like the heel of a shoe? Like you got heels on your feet, Todd. <laughs> okay, back to this movie. Yeah. Okay. Child murder. Let's go. Has the rebels tried just complying? (laughs) (laughs) Mikey, is that what you would do if fascists got control of our government? Or would you run to the Appalachian Hills and stage a resistance? (laughs) Oh, you mean my grandma's house? (laughs) (laughs) So she's at the maze with Mercedes, and uh, Mercedes basically is just trying to get her to come back to the compound. And refers to the captain as her father and she's like he's not my father my father died in the war yeah and mercedes is like yeah you've made that pretty clear <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> like, i get it i heard you yeah <laughs> and as they're having this conversation the evil bug is watching the evil bug is always watching although the bug's not evil <laughs> well i mean technically if she didn't meet this bug she'd still be alive i don't think she ever saw the bug yeah, the, the bug does not exist. The bug does not exist. I thought the bug existed, and then, then she pretended it was a fairy. I mean, that could be, sure. It was like a praying mantis, and then she's like, you need to look like this, and then her mind made it happen. As they walk back to the compound, we're kind of overhearing the captain talking about how the gorillas are deep in the woods, and it's hard to track them, but they're going to try and cut off their resources. Yeah. And as Mercedes walks back, He asks her to have the doctor come down. But first, the doctor is giving Ophelia's mom some medicine to help her sleep. Yeah. And he basically is like, don't hesitate to call me day or night, you or your nurse, meaning Ophelia. Yeah. He's being sweet. He's like a sweet doctor. Yeah. The doctor is awesome and is legitimately a good dude and just gets killed by the monster in this film. Yeah. Yeah. She sends the doctor up to see the captain, but as they're talking, he hands her a packet of medicine and he's like, This is all I could get. I'm sorry. And she tells him that somebody's leg wound is getting worse. We don't know who it is yet. Yeah. And the doctor goes to the captain and Ophelia kind of watches the interaction. So she kind of knows, like, she finds out, I think, a lot earlier than people realize and doesn't tell anybody um, because she is watching them talk. Uh, she then climbs into bed with her mom. And is afraid of the building creaking because they've always lived in the city. And so they've always had white noise. And then now it's too quiet, which for me is a problem when I go on vacations. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I sleep with a sound machine, honestly, because I don't like the sound of nothing. I have a box fan that I use. Yeah, so it's a similar thing. Yeah. So she asks her mom as they're kind of cuddling, like, why did you have to get married? And she says, I was alone too long. And she says, well, I'm with you. You're never alone. And she says, you'll understand when you're older and asks her to tell her unborn child one of her stories. And so she tells kind of a weird version of like not Sleeping Beauty, but it's basically like a rose surrounded by thorns. People can't get to it. So the rose wilts because it can't grant its gifts to anyone that would like. It's, it's a metaphor for me. so we cut to the captain cleaning his watch 
And the doctor comes in and he's basically asking him, like, how is she? And he's like, well, she's weak. And, and he's like, well, she'll have rest. And how's my son? And he's like, well, he'll probably be fine, but your wife shouldn't have traveled. And he's like, is that your opinion? And I'm like, he's like, yeah, I'm a doctor or whatever. I'm a doctor. <laughs> it's my medical opinion. Yeah. And he's like, well, the son should be born wherever his father is. I'm like, no, no, no. That's not how that works. Kids are people are born where they're born. And it's kind of our job to get there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, they're actually always born where their mother is. That's by design. <laughs> Yeah, it's a biological imperative, you fucking moron. <laughs> yeah, and like, dude, you're the one with legs and a car. You go to the baby. Yeah. He's like, I had to bring her here to this dangerous rebel-filled forest. Yeah, it's like if Princess Amidala got, like, well, I guess that is what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Except that hers got delivered by a robot who had, like, wiffle ball hands, and then she died of... <laughs> A broken heart, question mark? I cannot save her. She has a broken heart. The will to live. That Dude, that scene in that movie is... The wiffle ball hands make me laugh every time, but it also just goes, Uba, Uba, and then it's like she died of a broken heart. And I was like, are you sure it wasn't because you were playing wiffle ball with her insides? <laughs> anyway, that's not this movie. Abortion bot has failed again. <laughs> so sure it's a male and the captain just says don't fuck with me but it's that kind of thing where a dude's like of course i have a son my dick is so great it only creates boys and you're just like there's so much wrong with that sentence i can't even start yeah it really establishes the captain as a horrible dude immediately yeah yeah he's a real he's a real bro <laughs> just like, of course it's a boy bro it was from my dick <laughs> it's half four loco. What do you think it's going to be? <laughs> but then the doctor leaves, and then the captain goes back to reading, I hope they serve beer in hell or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I've got Mysteries Pickup Artist book next. Um, anyway, so soldiers burst in and tell the captain that they've intercepted a father and a son firing weapons in the forest, and they think... That it might be insurgents uh, or uh, gorillas, I guess. So they run out to inspect it. They go through their bags and the guys insist that they're just farmers. And they're rabbit hunting. And they're rabbit hunting. They're, they may be. There's some questionable literature, quote unquote, in their bag, but also thought is free or should be. It probably was not at this time. I don't know a lot about this time period in Spain, but yeah, it probably was not. You know, fascism, as Mikey says, it's not great. Europe in the 30s and 40s is like not a great time. Yeah. <laughs> it's Austria, 1930 bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. If you study a lot about the Weimar Republic in Germany in 1930, it's very similar to the America now. So it's a little terrifying. Oh, yes. This, yeah. this keeps me up at night, Todd. This Same. is why I'm learning to homestead. Yeah. So he literally just crushes this guy's skull in with a bottle. Yeah. It's so brutal. It shows everything and his nose goes into his skull and like kills him, basically. And he makes the father watch and then just shoots them both. Yeah. And as they like go through the rest of their bags, they find rabbits. So like 
maybe they were just hunting rabbits. And he just says, search these assholes properly before you come bother me. Which basically for him implies like they weren't a threat and I killed them for wasting my time. Yeah. Like brutal. Yeah, he's incredibly brutal. Yeah. But I mean, the rabbits in the bag, I feel like do vindicate those two people. Because they actually were rabbit hunting. I mean, unless maybe, I don't know, maybe when he first looked in the bag, the rabbits weren't there. And then he's also a magician. And he's like, ta-da! <laughs> or my, my, other was, my other thought was that they were scouts and carrying the rabbits as an alibi. Sure. Both of you are wrong. Rabbit hunting is punishable by death in Spain. Mm, so it's never rabbit season? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they Elmer <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> so we cut to back in the mother's bedroom where Ophelia wakes up because she hears something moving around the room because it's that giant evil bug and it runs across her foot and then it flies up and just kind of crawls up under her chest. And I'm just like, kill it with fire. What are you doing? And she instead asks it, like, did you follow me here? Are you a fairy? And she shows it a picture of the fairy. Who do you work for? (laughs) (laughs) What day is it? What What year? And the the bug turns into a creepy little fairy. Yeah. And she's like, you want me to come with you? Outside. Where? To the well? Take me, lassie. (laughs) Like, (laughs) so it leads her to the labyrinth. She walks through to the center where there's a giant pit with a staircase. And like, no, historically in lore, fairies are not good. So like, don't follow them. Got it. Fairies, sprites, elves, they're tricksters. They're here to steal your children. I don't trust the fae. You shouldn't trust the Fae, ever. Their world looks like a tampon commercial and they have ulterior motives. (laughs) (laughs) If I've learned anything from True Blood. So yeah, don't trust the Fae. Anyway, it leads her out to the labyrinth. She walks out to the center. She walks down the staircase and she's calling out into the darkness where it doesn't seem like anyone is answering her. But there is a statue a lot like the one she saw on the road. And then out of the darkness rises the fawn. He's creepy. He's very creepy, yeah. He says, don't be frightened, I beg you. And then there's more bugs, but then they turn into fairies. And (laughs) she introduces herself and asks him his name. And he's like, nope, I've had so many names, old names that only the trees can pronounce. Greg. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but like, he doesn't have a name. He never gives her a name. He just says he... He's like, my name, Yip. <laughs> my name is Yes. Yerf. Yes. I don't know why, but I was editing the Ruins episode, and my biggest, like, last one editing were Paige trying to say the word Jeff. I don't know why. It made me laugh so much. So funny. I'm sorry. Uh. Anyway, he is a fawn. <laughs> yeah. Which is a baby deer, right? No. No. F. A U N, not W N. Yeah, There's I know. I know. It's God, Todd. Get it right, Todd. God. This is the last time I make a simile joke. You guys are dicks. <laughs> uh, I think you mean it's it's not it's a homophone, I believe, not a simile joke. I'm sorry. I didn't think we could use Look, that word anymore. Yeah, we. Uh, this is a I very open all to all sort yeah. of people's podcast page. I want those words that have the same rights as my words. <laughs> uh, no, I I was actually right. Homophone, each of two or more words having the same pronunciation, but different meanings, origins, or spelling. For example, new and new with a K. I don't think any of us thought you were wrong. I just want to make sure that none of you ever thought I was wrong ever again. (laughs) That took a left turn. Yeah. (laughs) 
So Yerf, the <laughs> fawn, tells her yes. that she is Princess Moana, daughter <laughs> of the king of the underworld, and that she was born of the moon like a moon child. What? Yeah. What was she reading? Um, and that she... <laughs> She should have a mark on one of her shoulders and that they had opened portals so that she could return. Right. But you have to wait till like Mercury's in retrograde or some shit. Yeah. When you're extra yeah. bitchy. <laughs> so Mercury's in Gatorade or whatever. And so they <laughs> open the portals and then they have to make sure that her essence is intact and she hasn't become mortal. Right. And so he gives her the book of the crossroads and tells her to open it when she's alone. It'll show her her future and what must be done next. And he just disappears. She opens the book, but there's nothing in it. Upstairs, back at the compound, the captain is shaving and getting ready for bed, shining his boots because he's wants to be boss on that Hugo scale. Oh, yeah. He definitely is boss on that Hugo scale. And asks Mercedes to basically prepare the rabbits that they found for dinner tonight. And she basically is like, well, they're young, but we'll see if we can do for stew. And he tells her the coffee is burnt. But it's one of those things where it's like they're running out of, like they're having to ration out food. They're yeah. running out of supplies and he's complaining about the coffee. Yeah. And he's being fussy. So she takes it back into the kitchen and the other chefs are like, what does he want us to do about Like, he knows we at war, right? And she's like, no, he's just polishing his boots like an idiot. <laughs> and that's all he's doing though. Like, you're right. Yeah. Uh, and then sometimes he polishes them with the left hand, so it feels like somebody else is doing it. <laughs> That's after you sit on it for a while, though, but yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we cut to them drawing a hot bath for Ophelia, and her mom is trying to get her to take a bath so that she can put on this brand new dress and matching shoes, and they're very, very pretty. So she goes into the bathroom, and she's hidden the book under the radiator. So she opens it up, and it starts to show a map and words below her fingers, and her mom tells her to hurry up. But before she gets in the bath, she checks her shoulder, and sure enough, there is a moon mark there. She is a princess, according to the movie. We cut back to the kitchen where Mercedes is cutting vegetables and I thought she was stealing a knife. I guess she just always keeps a knife on her. Yeah, I thought she was stealing it too and was going to use it much sooner than she did in the movie. But yeah, I think that's just her like traveling knife. Like she's right, always right, got right. it. Which is smart. I mean, you're being run by a fascist like government and you are clearly not one. So yeah, have protection. Ophelia comes down in her new dress and Mercedes gets her some milk like fresh from a cow which would be warm no it would be warm yeah they actually drink warm milk a few times in this or yeah. use warm milk i should say because i guess the mandrake doesn't scream and or drink the milk yeah i don't know yeah but she asks mercedes if she believes in fairies and mercedes is like no but i did when i was little and she tells her that last night a fairy visited me and there were three of them and a fawn and she says my mother warned us to be wary of fawns and you should. The wood people don't mean you well. <laughs> I, I feel like Paige is like a anti like Faye. Uh... Paige, do you want to talk to us? I've got some <laughs> real anti Faye sentiment going on here who, and I'm fine you? with it. <laughs> who from Ireland hurt you? I mean, nobody specifically, but uh, I would say that I'm fat because of Lucky Charms. <laughs> no, it's, it's more just historically, historically, the Fae are not acting in your best They're like tricksters ever. and stuff, right? I honestly yes. don't know much about it, but that, that that's like the scope of my knowledge is that they just like. Haven't you seen Leprechaun 2 Back to the Hood? We haven't done any Leprechauns in this I can't show. On the we show. haven't done any Leprechaun. Leprechaun it was just is March. so much fun. 
so many. Okay, we're doing leprechauns at some point. Seriously, though, listen to Lore Podcast if you want to hear about all the horrible shit the Fae have done. Nice. They broke into Paige's car and stole her sunglasses. That's why she hates them. Hate it. Hate it so much. She's just like, she's just driving to the street and she goes up to get her sunglasses out of the compartment. They're gone. She's like, Faye! <laughs> yeah. And then you see Tina Faye on the side of the road rocking some badass shades. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, you can't trust Tina Faye! Although I fucking love Tina Faye. <laughs> Wait till she steals your child and then drives you crazy because no one else believes that it's not your kid and it's been changed. Yeah, Todd. I mean, honestly, if Tina Faye just wants to hang out, I'd let her steal my child. Of course she would. I don't have a kid, so it's like really low stakes for me. <laughs> okay, but what if she steals your steals your dog and replaces it with a stuffed dog ma- made of hay? Faye! <laughs> so we find that they've stolen a lot of the provisions that the gorillas will need. And so he has Mercedes give him the key to lock it all up. And she says that it's only the only copy of the key and he'll carry it now, which we will find out later is not true. But they see smoke up on the hill. It's definitely something. It's definitely yeah. something. It's a fire. <laughs> Once they see the fire the, or the smoke from the fire, the captain goes, Regulators! <laughs> oh, Mount up. I know. I was going to say, God door calls for aid! <laughs> <laughs> I like yours better because I feel like it's more on theme with this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was going to go ludicrous. Roll out. Um, <laughs> I always go Chris Bridges. Always. You never don't bet on the bridge. Take it to the bridge. <laughs> so they ride for the hill. Meanwhile, Ophelia is now out in the woods reading the book about the magical creatures of wonder. And she's reading the story about a giant fig tree that's in the forest but the tree is dying and she has to find the tree and force the magic stones into the toad's mouth and then take the key from its belly and only then will the tree bloom again so she takes her fancy dress off so it doesn't get dirty and walks inside the tree but ends up having to like crawl down a tunnel which is literally just full of mud and bugs yeah hard pass I'd be like, I don't want to be a princess this bad. Done. Yeah. Because they're like giant roly polies in there. Yeah. Big old potato bugs. They're gross. Yeah. Real gross. Meanwhile, the soldiers find an abandoned campfire and among it, they find a package of medicine, specifically antibiotics. They're the ones that Mercedes had the night before. And they find a lottery ticket, which is not as important, but they do find it. Yeah, it was weird that they included a lottery ticket. I think they were just trying to show it stuff that you like wouldn't leave behind unless you right. were like having to leave in a hurry and they just got there on horseback, which make a lot of noise. So like it's clear that they're close, which is why he then like yells out into them or into the woods, right? This is gonna be weird. But the whole time I was like, they just had a civil war. Like, is the lottery already back? <laughs> that, the lottery probably never went away. Like in t- yeah. in times of like financial hardship and stuff like that, that's when lotteries become more and more prevalent. Right. It's yeah. also a way to control population to make them think that they have a chance at a better life, even though their life is bad. Yeah. So, yeah, it probably never went away. Yeah. So he's calling out into the woods. He thinks they're there. No one comes out. So he eventually gets back on his horse and they ride away. And as he does, the men emerge from the trees. So they were right there. Meanwhile, back in the tree tunnel of bugs and horror, we find the giant toad. And she asks it, like, aren't you ashamed living down here eating all these bugs so the like tree dies? And I'm like, is this tree run on bugs? 
Like, what? And then the toad goes 100 instead of going 90 so she can go 10 and licks her face. It's so gross. And it's all slimy and stuff. Ugh. I thought I was an awkward kisser. Actually, I didn't think I was until recently. She pretends like she's holding a bug, but it's also the magic stones. Well, there is one bug there. She's got three of the stones and a bug that has rolled up to look like one. Mm -hmm. And it eats the bug and the stones and then it barfs up what I guess is its own stomach and dies? I think it's like the full contents of its stomach and then it deflates like a balloon. Yeah, it's the grossest thing I've ever seen. It's very gross. And the golden key is on top, so she re-emerges with the key, filthy, but now her dress has fallen off of where she put it into the mud and now it's super gross and muddy and it starts raining on her. Meanwhile, back at the compound, the captain has returned and he's waiting and checking his watch because no one has found her and the dinner's about to start. So they start the dinner without her. And this is where he's introducing the concept of ration cards for families to try and stop people from giving food to the fighters because they can only have so much food. So it'll prevent them from sharing, I guess. And he tells them that one of them is wounded because they found his medicine. And he says that he wants his son born in a new cleansed Spain. We're not all equal. The war's over and we won. We'll kill them all if we have to. Yeah. It's brutal. Yeah, It is. And the Civil War, from what I know of it, was a very, like, class-oriented struggle. And the lower-class populist movement did not win. Yeah. So this makes sense from him. It's just all weird dinner conversation. <laughs> It is sort of a weird thing to talk about over dinner, yeah. It's about to get a little weirder because this is this is the scene where I base my theory on him killing Ophelia's father. So first, Mercedes leaves to go get more wood and signals into the woods. This is how she finds Ophelia, who's all muddy and, and dirty. But then back at the dinner party, two of the other women at the dinner party ask Carmen how she and the captain met. And she reveals that her late husband was his tailor. And then when her husband died, she became his tailor and he cuts her story off because the women are like, oh, so you just happened to meet him again? You ran into each other again? Like he knew your husband and then all of a sudden you guys are dating. And so he cuts everyone off by saying, please forgive my wife. She's not used to company and nobody wants to hear her stories. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. And then I was like, but they like asked her. They asked her for this story. They did. And I think this led me to think that it's kind of a David and Bathsheba situation. Yeah. Where he was a client of her husband's, saw her because she worked in the shop with her husband, decided he wanted her, sent her husband to the front to die, and then he swooped back in and snagged her. Or, alternately, kind of what we saw in Overlord, where, like, her husband's dead, she needs help because she's a, a single woman running a business on her own with a daughter, and potentially this was an unwilling sexual relationship that he has now like you're my wife now because he got her pregnant or something yeah because he got her pregnant very well could be so mercedes calls her away from the table and the conversation at the table turns to the captain's father who supposedly was a soldier in morocco and they say that he smashed his watch so his son would know the hour of his death and how a brave man dies and he says nonsense my father didn't own a watch But then we've seen him look at that broken watch multiple times. So he's obsessed with that watch. Yeah. So Ophelia 
back in her room is taking another bath. Her mom is punishing her, but not too severely. And it seems like her mom is not super happy with how the dinner party went. So it seems like they have kind of this moment of like, yes, the captain is brutal and we don't like him, but this is our situation. Yeah. Yeah. So like clean up. So as she's basically getting into bed, getting ready, uh, the nasty bug comes again and she tells her that she has the key. And has it take her to the labyrinth. So she goes back to the labyrinth in her pajamas. She touches the statue of what we find out is the fawn and her and an unknown child. Well, we'll find out who that is in a second. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious. So she tells him that she got the key. And he tells her that the fairies believed in you and they're glad you succeeded. Keep the key. You'll be needing it soon. And he gives her a piece of chalk. And he says that two tasks remain and the moon is almost full. And she says, why should I believe you? And I'm like, good for you, girl. Fuck the fae. Yeah. And then he's like, well, why would I lie to you? And she's like, I don't know. And goes back upstairs. So at this point, the next day, we cut to the next day where they're rationing out all of the supplies to the locals. They have to have the ration cards ready. And Mercedes is basically helping to dispense the rations. Yeah. Which is allow her allowing her to steal rations, basically. Yeah, for the rebels. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We cut to her mom's bedroom. Her mom's not doing well. Ophelia goes into the bathroom, opens the book and says, what happens now? Show me. And the book shows what looks like ovaries in blood and then spreads across the whole page. Yeah. She goes back into the bedroom and her mother is bleeding badly. So oh, yeah. she runs out to get the captain and the doctor tells the captain, your wife needs uninterrupted rest and she'll need to be sedated. The girl should stay elsewhere I'll stay till the birth, basically, to make sure everything is okay. Yeah, because Ophelia had been sleeping in the same bed with the mom, and now Ophelia has to sleep elsewhere. Like, you even see Mercedes later prepare a room for her and sort of become the surrogate mother character, really. Right. And and during the scene, Mercedes does tell her having a baby is complicated, and she says, then I'll never have one. Nope. And this is where she tells Mercedes, you're helping the men in the woods, aren't you? Yeah. And she says, have you told anyone? And she's like, no, because I don't want anything to happen to you. She says, I don't want anything to happen to you either. Yeah. Uh, and asks her to sing her a lullaby, but she doesn't remember the words, so she just hums it, which is very sweet. It is a very sweet lullaby, too. I liked it. Yeah, and I do, the movie doesn't, super address it but it seems like what happened to her mom is she went into early labor and they're trying to then stop the labor yeah but this is also where they establish the sedative that the mom is only supposed to take two drops of it you know to get her to sleep or whatever right yeah Yeah. we've had that for a little bit but yeah we yeah we see that she's taking even more of it yeah basically we cut to mercedes sneaks out she goes to a stone in the kitchen floor Moves it, takes out letters in a can of something and puts the stone back. In the background, we see that somebody has seen her. It's the doctor. And he says, don't be afraid. It's only me. Are you ready? Let's go. So they go out into the woods and they meet up with the gorillas, one of whom is Pedro, her brother. Meanwhile, back in Ophelia's room, the fawn appears in her room and is like, you didn't complete the task I gave you. And she's like, my mother is super sick. And he's like, you still have to do it. But anyway, for your mom, here's a mandrake root. Put it under your mother's bed in a bowl of fresh milk with two drops of blood. And then he gives her the fairies to have them guide her through her next task. He tells her that she's going to a dangerous place. The thing there is not human. And you will see a sumptuous feast, but don't eat anything. Your life depends on it. Yeah. 
and he hands her an hourglass. So Mercedes and the doctor get to the camp. She passes out supplies and mail, and the doctor starts to try and work on a man's wounded leg, but they can't save the leg. We do hear some of the guerrillas reading in the newspaper about the invasion at Normandy, thinking that the Americans are soon to be there to help them, but... It's so sad. It's like one of the saddest moments in the movie for me. Because they're like, we're about to be saved. And like, no, you have literally like 40 years of this. But it also establishes the stutterer because the stutterer is the guy who is like reading at first. And then Mm -hmm. his very mean friend who calls him an idiot snatches the paper from him and starts reading the rest of it. Yeah. And that's where it establishes the uh, D-Day invasion. Yep. They decide that they have to take the man's leg, and so they give him a bunch of whiskey, and they're like, we'll do it with as few cuts as possible. I did like that the old man, like, he was like, hey, Doc, give me a second. I want to reminisce about the good old times with this leg before you take it. Uh, And then they go, and they don't, they show just enough of it to be terrifying. I did not like it. I was like, oh, why? Uh, Why did you show that? I did like his, like, remember all the ass we kicked? <laughs> but now now take the leg off use the removed leg like the the leg as itself a weapon. yeah as a weapon <laughs> to keep kicking asses <laughs> they would have but the vines pulled them off before they noticed what was happening uh... to them. <laughs> oh back in ophelia's bedroom she opens the book again and she gets directions for where she's supposed to go she sees drawings of creatures and a door with locks yeah and she uses the chalk to trace a door in the wall of her room And she goes through, uh, she starts the hourglass and walks into a long spooky corridor. It really bothered me. She left the hourglass. Like, you're not going to be able to see it. That's going to do you zero good. Yep. Uh, She proceeds down the corridor. She sees the huge feast and seated at the head of the table is a creature with eyes on a plate, but no eye sockets on his head yeah and there's paintings above of him just beating the shit out of children like killing them mm-hmm. yeah yeah and also a pile of shoes like the one at the holocaust museum yeah oh that took a yeah okay <laughs> mike mikey went from like i'm about to make a joke to oh that's real sad <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like well not gonna fall that off <laughs> it was the first thing i thought when i was like oh they have a pile of shoes here too yeah so she follows the fairies to the door with the three locks they point out the one in the middle, but she knows better. She puts the key in and chooses a different one. She reaches inside and pulls out a large dagger. She walks past the creature and the table, but at a certain point, she sees some of the food and she's mesmerized. By a big-ass grape. A big-ass grape! Yeah. <laughs> I was so mad by this. I was like, you have one job and your one rule was don't eat any of the food. Your life yeah. depends on it. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. It's not like she's starving or like they're depriving her of food or anything. Like, yeah. but that grape looks so good. It did not. I don't like grapes. Gross. <laughs> she, they're nature's candy. They're not. Cheese is nature's candy. Okay, as someone who also really loves cheese, I also really love grapes. They're a, they're great together. I hear they're a good pair. They are a good pair. For me, it's a texture thing. I don't like when things explode in my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I said that because I wanted Mikey's reaction. I got it. We can move on. So she eats a grape. The creature awakens. It puts eyeballs in its hands. She takes another grape. It walks toward her. So she runs away. It follows after her. She rushes through the corridor and just in time to see the door to her room closing. She tries to draw another door with chalk, but there's no time. She draws on the ceiling for some reason. I hated this. 
so much. He just draw another door. What are you doing? Why are you drawing a ceiling portal? Like, let's draw one lower so you can walk through it and close it. Like, I, it made no sense to me. I was so mad. Yeah. You would never have gone to the center of the labyrinth. Neither does she. Yeah, she gets murdered. So you're just saying I wouldn't get murdered at the end of this movie? Thank you, Mikey. I mean, I feel like I would have survived this a lot easier because I wouldn't have eaten anything and I would have made an easier to access door. I would have ate his eyeballs. It's a real power move, yeah. <laughs> He's just walking around with grapes in his hands, bumping into shit. <laughs> Loophole, bitch. <laughs> anyway, she does draw on the ceiling, pushes her way back up into her room, and it closes behind her, but he does end up pounding on the door to try and get through for a little bit. Right. It's kind of... It's a tense moment, sure. Back in the forest, all of the gorillas are trying to plan a way to kill the captain, but they're discussing how it may be a lost cause just because they're outnumbered and they're just going to replace that captain with a different captain. Yeah, their problem isn't the captain. Their problem is the fascist regime that's running their country. Right. Yeah. And Mercedes feels like a coward because she's living peacefully among them instead of just outright fighting them. I think what she's doing is the most brave because she is yeah. putting her life online every minute of every day. Yeah. Because if anyone finds out, she's dead. Back inside, the captain is shaving again next to his broken watch. Yeah. And he mimes slicing his own throat. Um, looking at this based on her conversation about being a coward before... I thought to myself, the captain is the real coward because he isn't a brave man. He d he's not dying in battle. He's dying subjugating people and he just sends other people out to kill people. Yeah. And I think deep down inside, he is the real coward. Absolutely. Anyway, Ophelia goes in to see her mother who's doing badly, but she puts the mandrake root under her bed with the bowl of milk and feeds it blood Meanwhile, the doctor comes in and is like, I don't know why she's getting better, but like she is. And it, maybe it's that mandrake root. Who knows? Yeah, duh. Uh, but he pulls the doctor aside and says, if you have to choose to save the baby, save the baby. <sighs> Which like, I understand that that's a choice that has to be made sometimes, but like, oof. Magoof. Yeah. Where that's, it's not even a risk at this moment. And he's just like, yeah, screw her. I'm really more interested in the baby. Then he whispers again. Yeah. He's like, also murder my wife after the baby's born. Right? Yeah. So as they're having this conversation, explosions happen far out in the forest. Ophelia climbs out from under the bed, hugs her mom, talks to her brother, and basically says, things out here aren't good, but soon you'll have to come out. But when you do, please don't hurt her. You'll meet her. She's very pretty, but also is sad sometimes. But you'll love her. If you do what I say, I promise I'll make you a prince. We cut to, turns out it was a train explosion. So the captain yeah. and everyone has gone to investigate the train explosion. And everyone at the train is like, yeah, they just seem to be delaying us. They didn't take anything because it's a double cross. It is. It's a misdirection. It's a derail misdirection. Ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> they got derailed. Is that what you're going to say, Mikey? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to usurp your joke. I apologize. <laughs> the rebels. <laughs> they double back because they realize that the gorillas have chosen this moment to attack the captain's camp and raid the food storage. Yeah. And as they get there, he realizes that it's unlocked, even though they've used all these explosions and everything. That really bothered me just because they blew up everything. There's like blown up cars, the trains blown up, and they just didn't blow up the door or break the door down or something that like straight up giving away 
who is their mole or person on the inside. I hated that. Right. Yeah. I hated it too. Um, they go after them in the woods and they're just killing people left and right. He's looking at his father's watch, but still hiding from these people. He's not just like bravely going after them, which I think is more along the lines of like, he is a coward. I mean, he's just waiting till his men move up and then he goes in behind them. He is shooting and like trying to take them out, but he's mainly hiding behind trees as his yeah. men move mm-hmm. up and die. Like you're watching his men die around him. I'm not going to yeah. defend him. Commanders don't go first. They haven't, they haven't done that since like the civil war. No, I know. I, I think it's more just his personal stuff oh. where like he's always sending other people out to do his stuff. He's such a dick. You know, and the only thing he does personally is torture people who are helpless. Yeah. Or who he thinks are helpless. Or he, who he thinks are helpless. So he climbs the hill uh, and he's trying to interrogate the few people that are have survived. Uh, and most of them are dead and they're just shooting them again for good measure to basically make sure everyone's dead. Dude, the guy who was shot through the neck who he was like trying to interrogate but could, like literally couldn't talk. Mm-hmm. And he's like holding his gun up and the guy keeps batting it away. And then he shoots him through his hand. I was like, oh my God, this is fucking brutal, man. Yep. Uh, they do find one who is still alive who's been shot in the leg and it is the the man with a stutter that we met yeah. earlier. They take him to the storeroom. Mercedes follows to see who it is. I think she's worried it's her brother. Yeah. Um, We cut back to the kitchen where, again, she's chopping, it looks like parsnips, and then folds her knife into her apron, which, again, I couldn't figure out if she was taking multiple knives. I think it's just her knife that she keeps on her. Because it's the same knife. I think that's just where she carries it. Yeah. But she always has it on her. It, It establishes that she always has it. Yeah, it's just showing us Chekhov's gun a couple yeah. different times. Yeah. But meanwhile, in the storeroom, they're fully going to torture that guy. Oh, and yeah. it's brutal. And he basically tells them, like, look, you're going to try and tell me things, and I'm not going to believe you until I torture you. Yeah, until, like, step three of the torture, which is, like, very deep into torture. Which, by the way, <laughs> has been proven to not be effective because people will tell you anything to get you to stop hurting them. Yeah, they'll make up shit. They'll, I mean, that's why the Inquisition did not work. Yeah, plus no one expected it. <laughs> <laughs> but also happened in Spain. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, this dude is super scared and already shot in the leg, but they're still making him stand on that leg, which is brutal. Yeah. And... The scene ends with the captain taking a hammer to that guy's face. Yeah. And honestly, that's where the torture begins for that guy. Yeah. Because when you see him later, like his hand is unrecognizable as a human hand. Yeah. It is like a mound of flesh. There's like no bone left intact in that hand. Yeah. It it looks like Todd's feet. (laughs) It's really hard to make jokes about this movie. (laughs) I do like that you're trying at my expense, though. I don't know what else to do. (laughs) I'm fine with it, though. I'm on board. Let's do it. Meanwhile, back in Ophelia's bedroom, the fawn has appeared, and he's like, well, your mother is better. You must be relieved. And she's like, thank you for the weird baby root. And she tells him that she accidentally broke the rules. And he says, well, I hope two of my fairies didn't get eaten. Where are they? I can't wait to talk to them. (laughs) I do like that once she lets the one fairy out of the canister they're in, like, that fairy immediately go, goes and tells on her. <laughs> that was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. If you're going to lose two, you might as well kill the third. <laughs> but he says, the moon is full in three days. You failed and you can never return. Your yeah. spirit will remain in the human with the humans. You'll never see us again. 
So, but he a big liar. He a big liar. He also yeah. not real. He a figment of her imagination, prompted by trauma. True. True. He cut to the captain <laughs> washing blood off his hands. Yeah. And he's called the doctor to treat the guy he's torturing, but basically just to keep him alive so they can torture oh, yeah. him longer. Yeah. That, but this is common amongst torture. Yeah, it's brutal. And the doctor gets there and opens his kit, and the guy that they're torturing, his hands are fucked. Yeah. And the doctor, as he's got his kit open, the captain recognizes a vial from his kit. And the captain leaves. That, that drove me insane. But that's how all medicine vials yeah. look like that back then. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He could have got that from any medical dispensary. I like when I, I was watching this with Natalie and I, I looked at her and I was like, so is he just mad at the like uh industrial war machine? Like I don't understand. Yeah. Like this is not uh, this is not the doctor who's like at home making antibiotics in glass vials on his own time. He's buying yeah. these from somewhere or getting them from somewhere. Yeah. So dumb. Anyway, but so after the captain leaves, the guy he's been torturing says to the doctor, I talked, not much, but I talked. I'm so sorry. Kill me, please. Yeah. Which honestly, understandable because I can't even imagine that amount of pain. So the captain goes back to his bedroom and compares the two vials. They are the same. Yeah, because that's the way Pfizer makes them, you fucking moron or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. That has nothing to do with the rebels or the doctor. I hated this so much. It made me so mad. Although I do think the the captain is arrogant and stupid enough to believe that all this doctor does is go home and make antibiotics in glass vials. Well, Todd, even a broken pocket watch is right twice a day. (laughs) (laughs) We cut back to the storeroom with the guy who's been tortured and the doctor injects him with what looks like morphine. A lot of morphine. A lot of it. And he's like, this is something that'll take away the pain. It's almost over. Yeah. But I mean, he more or less does what the guy asked him to do and kills him. Yeah. Which is super sad. The doctor, of course, did not want to do it, but it is sort of a kindness at this point. At this point, when the guy's in that much pain, yeah. And it makes sure he won't talk anymore Oh I didn't even think it was that I I feel like if there was any chance That that guy had any ounce of life left That was not torture The doctor would not have killed him But he knows He was brought there to nurse him back to enough health For them to continue torturing him And I wouldn't want to live in that situation Where you're just being kept alive to be tortured No Well and I wouldn't want to be the person keeping someone alive So that they can experience more pain Like that's the only reason Exactly Yeah Yeah. so I don't I don't know I don't feel like the doctor was doing it Because he was afraid he was going to get ratted out I feel like he was doing it Because that guy needed that to happen Agreed It's rough And and I think that's in line with his character too Oh yeah I mean because he dies right now Like he's about to die I I love the doctor so much And I hated that he died like this Although it's very well done I, I liked it but I hated it you know I got you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we cut to Ophelia, who's going to feed the mandrake, but now it's just a root. And the captain pulls her out from under her bed or under her mom's bed. Yeah. He sees the mandrake root and he's kind of yelling her at her about it. Back in the storeroom, one of his generals sees that the tortured guy is dead. Yeah. Back up in the bedroom, he basically wakes her mom up to be like, hey, pregnant person on bed rest, discipline your child. Well, and she even says, go away, let me handle this. And he's just like, fine. And then he leaves because he's got, you know, important doctors to kill or whatever. Right. His and Carmen, uh, Ophelia's mom, his wife, basically is like, what's going on? Like, why is there a bowl of stinky milk under my bed? What is happening? 
And she tells her, well, it's the magic root the fawn gave me. It's why you got better. And she basically says, when you get older, you'll see life is not simple and magic doesn't exist. And the world's a cruel, cruel place. Yeah. Yeah. She tosses the mandrake root into the fire and it screams as she then goes into labor. Yeah. And we cut down to the storeroom where the captain has now encountered the doctor and asks him, why did you do it? And he says, it was the only thing I could do. And he says, well, you could have obeyed me, obeyed me. And he says, I could have, but I didn't. And he's like, it would have been better for you. Why didn't you obey me? And he says that only people like you can obey without question. Yeah. Which is oh. a great line. Yeah. It's so good. And it sort of rings like the Nuremberg trials in my mind. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. He's going there. <laughs> yep. And then he walks past him. I hated this so much. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing. I think he knows he's dead. Me too. too. I'm 100% sure. I mean, this is one of those moments where you're like, oh, they're definitely going to shoot me in the back. And then he's just like, maybe I can make it. Maybe I just keep walking. I'm just going to keep walking. I was like, oh, there it is. There's the bullet in my back. Okay. I'm not going to die with glasses on. (laughs) If we think of, if if we're looking at cowardice in this movie, that's incredibly brave of him to be like, Yes, I did disobey you, and now I'm going to go on my way, even though I know the second I turn my back, you're going to kill me. Yeah. But I'm ready for it because I did the right thing. Yeah, and then the captain does the cowardly thing of shooting him in the back. Yep. Which ultimately is just another death brought to you by the Sackler family. Yeah, because of the vials. Yep. I watched that documentary, too. Yeah, watch Uh, it. It's so so good. So Mercedes comes out to tell him about his wife, literally just as he shot probably the only person that can save her. Yeah. Hey, grab the doctor. Your wife's in labor. Ah, damn it. Ah, damn it. (laughs) Uh, So he grabs the troop paramedic immediately. And the troop paramedic is not necessarily somebody used to delivering children. He is not going to do it with any care for the mother. I mean, he's probably not trained to do that. He's probably like battlefield trained for like wounds, like gunshot wounds, stuff like that. He's like, I don't think I'm supposed to put the tourniquet in there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we do hear her screaming. It's a difficult delivery. There's lots of blood. Oh, yeah. And Mercedes and everyone coming out of that room look angry. I think because they realize that they delivered that baby so that the baby could live with no care for Carmen's well-being. And as Ophelia and the captain sit outside, the medic comes out and says, your wife is dead, but the baby lives. So they have a funeral for Carmen, uh, her mom, the next day. And then Ophelia packs all her things because fuck this place. Yeah, right. I honestly thought he was sending her away. But as you watch more, I don't think that was happening. I don't think he cares anything about her. I don't think she can trust that anyone will care for her. Well, same. At this point. And she is a child. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I just don't quite understand why she was packing with nowhere to go except maybe just gonna being run optimistic away. i mean yeah yeah absolutely honestly she should have but then we see the captain basically asking information from mercedes who's kind of caring for the baby and he's like you knew the doctor and the guy we were torturing said that there's a mole here yeah so she sits across from him he pours her a drink she doesn't drink it and he says do you think i'm a monster and she says it doesn't matter what i think and he says go to the storeroom and bring back more liquor and she gets up to do it and he says are you forgetting something i have the only copy of the key right and then he tells her There's something that's been bothering me. When they broke in, they exploded everything, but the lock was unlocked. And it's probably not important. But anyway, here's the key you need. So he gives her the key. Yeah. And just says, be very careful. Yeah. That's sort of like the, hey, I'm pretty sure you're the mole. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
And so she's like, okay, well, I'm leaving forever now. Goodbye. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mercedes sneaks downstairs, retrieves stuff from that same little stone in the floor. Yeah, the hidey hole. The hidey hole. Then she goes to Ophelia's room and wakes her up and is like, I'm leaving tonight and I can't tell you where. But I'll come back for you. And Ophelia's like, I've already packed. Take me with you. <laughs> I've already packed. Please take me with you. Uh, so they get out to the forest and they've got an umbrella because it's raining. They turn and behind the umbrella is the captain and literally the whole force. Yeah. So he drags Ophelia back and he l- fully hits her a lot. Yeah. And he's like, how long have you known? How long have you been mocking me, you little bitch? And then he locks her in her room. And he basically says, if anyone tries to get in, kill her first. Yeah, that was brutal. Like, don't kill the person trying to come in until you've killed Ophelia. Yeah. That's insane. So they tie up Mercedes in the storeroom. They're clearly going to torture her the same way. Where's the rebel base? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where is Yavin 4? (laughs) We have ways to make you talk, princess. He says that he sends the other men away because, quote, she's just a woman. And she says, that's what you always thought. That's how I got away with it. I was invisible to you. And she pulls out her secret knife, cuts her ropes free, stabs him in the back, then in the like upper chest near the shoulder. And then she puts her knife in his mouth and slices out through his cheek. This is the Joker origin story I was not expecting. Yes. Yeah. I was upset she didn't just finish him. Me too. I was so mad she Me didn't too. kill him. But so she wa- she gets a fair distance away because no one questions her. And they're like, oh, he must have let her go yeah. because there's no way she would have beat him until he comes out after her. Yeah. Um. So she runs out into the woods. They surround her. She pulls out her knife. And one of the generals is like, it'll be better if you come without struggling. Basically like, come on. Well, and then she goes to slit her own throat. And he says, I'd rather I kill you. Basically, like, let me do you this kindness of just shooting you. Yeah. But the gorillas come out of the trees just in time. Yeah. They shoot all the soldiers. Uh, We find out that Pedro is alive. Except for one of the soldiers. They send one guy back. Uh, And so Mercedes is safe for now. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in the house in Ophelia's room, the fairies and the fawn return. And he's like, hey, remember that time I told you you'd never see me again? Well, uh, I'm I'm back. Yeah. And he's like, do you promise to do what I say and do everything I tell you without question? This is your last chance. Get your baby (laughs) brother and bring him to the labyrinth as quickly as you can. No questions asked. He gives her another thing of chalk to make another door. Yeah. And we cut to the captain washing his face, but he's got like a joker gash and then he sews it up himself. And I just have in my notes, you really shouldn't have shot that doctor. Yeah. (laughs) As we pull back, we reveal that Ophelia is hiding right under that table. Yeah. The captain drinks and it leaks through his face wound, which that would hurt so fucking bad. It would. It was such a cool effect though. Oh, it was. But like imagine alcohol over an open wound. Oh my God. You mean my broken heart? (laughs) oh geez so he notices the chalk on the table and draws his gun but ophelia is nowhere to be found one of his soldiers comes in tells him that serrano his general is is wounded he comes out to basically meet the one they sent back from mercedes and while he's out ophelia puts sleeping drops in his drink he goes out to talk to his general finds out that everyone else is super dead that they have about 50 men and that there's only 20 men left in his compound yeah so they're outnumbered ophelia grabs her brother uh tells him we're leaving together don't be afraid nothing will happen to you but as she's about to leave the soldiers and the captain come back he's about to drink his booze and then looks at his watch then downs it 
but something explodes outside and he sees her trying to leave with the baby. Yeah, she's like almost out the door. She's like backing out the door. He turns around and they catch each other's eye and she's like, fuck, I was so close. And he chases after her, but he's stumbling. He's not yeah, sure he's, on his she feet. Drugged him, yeah. She drugged him, yeah. Uh, she makes it outside under cover of the attack. And Mercedes comes back for her, but she's already gone. Yeah. So Ophelia runs into the labyrinth. The captain follows. The wall's open for her to run through, but he's lost going in circles. I thought that was cool. I was like, oh, man, that's like a that's a cheat move. That's like an early yep. Doom cheat move right there. She's going to walk through walls on him. She, she no-clipped through the, through the center of the <laughs> yeah. uh, labyrinth. Yeah. Yep. She IDKFA'd that. <laughs> <laughs> so the fawn asks her to give the baby to him, and he has the dagger. And he says that the portal will only open with a drop of blood from the innocent. We only need a drop of blood. And she says, no, he stays with me. And he says, the fawn says, so you'd give up your sacred rights to the kingdom for him. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I would. And if that's what I have to do, that's what I have to do. And as they're having co- this conversation, the captain gets there and we reveal that she's talking to no one, or at least no one that the captain can see. And so he turns her around, he takes the baby back, and then he just shoots her. Yeah, in the Because he, he's a like, fucking monster. A gut shot, even. like, like yeah. He doesn't even kill her. Yeah, it would take a long time to die by gut shot. Yep. She falls to the ground like the first shot of the movie. He walks out of the labyrinth to face all of the gorillas. Hands basically has to hand his baby over to Mercedes. I love this part so much. He takes out his watch and he's like, tell my son what time his father died. And she's like, no, he won't even know your name. And they shoot him. Yeah, I thought it was great because he's cut up on one cheek and they shoot him through the other one. Yeah, they do. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you just fuck up that guy's face. I love it. <laughs> Uh, Mercedes goes into the labyrinth to find Ophelia. Yeah. But Ophelia's dying on the edge of what she had thought was the portal. And her blood is dripping down inside. So Mercedes hums her a lullaby as she dies. <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah, it was the same lullaby. I mean, she right. hallucinates that she made it to the portal and that her dad is there. Her actual real life mom is there. And there's that seat that's for her. And right. the fawn is there and they're like, hey, you did exactly what you were supposed to yeah. do. You, you passed it. the most important of the three tests where you right. didn't let them kill the baby. You gave your own blood instead. And I was like, oh, maybe. OK, cool. She made it. And then it cuts back to uh, to Mercedes. Who was like, oh, no, she's just straight up dead. Great. Thank you so much for these tears, Del Toro. And, and that's, that's the, the movie. movie. Yeah. So having seen the movie, having talked about it, and learning something about the Spanish Civil War, what do you guys think about it now? I loved this movie. Yeah. I thought it was really great. Yeah, really like this movie. It's like a sad poem. It is like a sad poem. So unlike most of the movies that I'm forced to watch, I don't want to watch this one again, but mainly because it's so sad. It's not bad. It's it's a great movie. It's not scary. It's just straight up sad. It's like Schindler's List. I hope I never watch Schindler's List again, but it's a great movie. Yeah. I mean, also, I don't. Like children being murdered, so. Yeah, for someone who, um, I'm going to take this controversial stance here yeah. where I like to make jokes. Yeah, for someone who likes to fight children, it's surprising that you're, like, so not on board with child murder. Yeah. Wait, 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 let me clarify. Yeah. This was not an evil child. That is true. She wasn't possessed. She wasn't murdering people. She wasn't a zombie. She was just a child, and she was murdered, and I didn't like it. That's fair. You only endorse beating up and murdering evil children. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, good to know. That works for me. That is now a tenant in the cult of Mikey. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> that is 
fully a full-fledged cult in the Facebook group. Send me diet soda. <laughs> this I command. I swear to God, if we get like a P.O. box full of like diet Cokes, I'll be so pissed at you. Send it to me now. We get wrap snacks, so you will. I'll take wrap snacks over just Lucy Diet Cokes. Lucy Diet Cokes with just a shipping label on them? <laughs> would be hilarious. You're right. Here for it. So I'm going to go to Costco. I'm going to get 24 packages of like Lucy Diet Cokes. Well, okay. Well, Paige, do you have any fun facts for us? I do have a lot of fun facts. Well, here it is with your fun facts. Bug fawn. So as I mentioned earlier, this is actually part of a trilogy. So this was intended as a companion piece to The Devil's Backbone. Yeah. And it's a trilogy of films related to the Spanish Civil War. The first being Devil's Backbone, which was released five years earlier than this. And then the third film is tentatively titled 3993, but it hasn't been made yet. It was shelved so that Guillermo del Toro could work on Hellboy 2. Oh, okay. But in an interview, he's explained basically the film's premise that it would basically close this trilogy, but it's about a character who in 1993 believes that the Civil War is a thing of the past, but then something from 1939 comes to life and proves that it's not. Oh, okay. Cool. I mean, I'd watch that. Yeah, there's no recent updates on the film, but people remain hopeful that eventually one day it'll get made. Um, cool. But allegedly, yeah. I mean, after watching this movie, I'd watch anything this guy does. Like, I, he's very oh, yeah. good. He's a great filmmaker. I wish I hadn't been so against his stuff. But I, I wasn't, like, against it. I just thought it was all horror, and I just didn't watch it, you know? I mean, I, I would say it's light on the scares, heavy on the visuals. And the feels. And the feels, as far as horror goes. I would say they're incredibly well-made movies. Yeah. They're just not always great horror movies. I think Crimson Peak is a great example of... So, the fawn in this movie, the character of the fawn, comes from a reoccurring dream that he had as a child. Oh, that's terrifying. Terrifying. That's scarier than this movie. I know. But he said that in the dream, he would wake up to find the fawn in his bedroom, stepping out from behind a grandfather clock. Oh, no, thank you. And he said that he never felt afraid of the creature, just intrigued. And he wanted to portray that character in a way that was neither totally good or totally bad. Sort of chaotic neutral. I get it. Yeah, chaotic neutral. Now, because this, as we mentioned, this is not his first film. He had made a handful of films and written a handful of films by this point. So this was supposed to be like the first big Hollywood one. But all of the Hollywood studios that were going to offer him money for it wanted to stipulate that he make the film in English, and he refused. So he refused all of their funding and took basically a much lower production budget so that he could make it in Spanish because that's how he wanted it to be made. I love that. I, I do too. I do not like subtitles. We've talked about that many times. I feel like mm -hmm. people understand that about me at this point. I love that it was in Spanish and it was subtitled because it's like about the Spanish Civil War and just that post-Civil War time period. Like, I wouldn't hate an Americanized story of this that actually focuses on the Civil War, but I like, like, just to like to tell the history of it. Like, honestly, what I want is a documentary that I can watch to learn all about it. But Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could take a documentary. But this, I feel like it needs to be in Spanish. I, I think it's beautiful in Spanish. I, yeah. I would not change it. This is definitely one you should not watch a dub of. So 
in order to make the movie, since they had half as much money as they would have, uh, Guillermo del Toro gave up his salary to finish the film, as did the producer Alfonso Cuaron, who is also a famous director and producer. Yeah. And they basically both gave up their salaries to add $150,000 to the film's production budget, which, by the way, that means if you split that up, like if they were each making, like if you split that in half, they're making approximately what bare minimum to live in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> on this movie. That's that's below scale, by the way. <laughs> so like they were already not making a lot of money on this film and then gave up their salaries entirely to make it. He also did all of the translation for the subtitles himself. Oh, cool. Yeah, he speaks great English and so he did all the translating. So he really didn't like, he had had problems in the past with poor translations and he wanted to make sure that it was as accurate to his vision as possible. And he wrote it. I mean, he would know. He would know. Yeah. And, and no meaning was lost on English speaking audiences because he speaks very good English. And so he understood how to do that. Yeah. I think that's why it translates so well, even to English speaking audiences, because we get all the meaning conveyed because he put in that extra effort. Yeah. Also, the acting is great. Like the emotional weight of the scene is clear, even if you don't understand what they're saying. Obviously, being able to read it, it's clear, but the acting's yeah. really <laughs> solid in this. Hey, I have a question. Is that the same Alfonso Cuaron who directed The Prisoner of Azkaban? Yes. That's my favorite Harry Potter movie. Anyway, he he's a great director in his own right. I don't yeah. realize he produced this. That's awesome. And, and he's produced a lot. I mean, he's done a lot of stuff. So they were screening the film uh, right before it went out for general release. And Guillermo del Toro attended a, screen, a screening and ended up sitting next to Stephen King. <laughs> who supposedly really squirmed during the scene with the pale man who has the the eye hands. Yeah. And he basically says that that was as good as winning an Oscar as watching Stephen King squirm in his movie. That's great. Best thing ever happened. Oh, I bet it is. Yeah, that would be a huge compliment. So the actor who plays both the pale man and the fawn in the film, basically the one in the suits, um, he was the only American on set. His name is Doug Jones. And he was the only person that didn't speak Spanish before production of the film. So he learned to speak Spanish, even though Guillermo del Toro was like, dude, you don't have to. You can just deliver your lines in English and we'll dub them later or learn them phonetically, like whatever you want to do. But instead, Doug Jones insisted on learning not only his lines, but those of Ophelia too, so that he knew where his cues were. But despite his best efforts with pronunciation, they end up having a Spanish actor overdub his lines anyway. Because he was like, La La Rona. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry about messing up that name over and over in that episode. Sorry about that, guys. So the ruined town featured at the start of the film, the one that they kind of drive through. Yeah has been in a couple other movies. Um, it's also in Terry Gilliam's movie, The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. But this is actually part of where I visited when I was in Spain, and it is beautiful. Cool. When casting, originally, the role of Ophelia was written for a girl who was about eight years old. But when Ivana Baquero auditioned, she was about 10 at the time, and he loved her so much that he rewrote parts of the script to make the character's age match her age that's so cool. that she's a little bit older uh but as they were preparing for this movie 
Guillermo del Toro left four years worth of notes about this movie and ideas for this movie in the back of a cab in the UK. Oh no. And this is back in the day. So this is pre Uber. This, he had no way to contact the cab driver and tried to chase the cab to retrieve it, but it was too late. Fortunately, the driver went through the notes and found in the notebook a piece of stationery from the hotel where Guillermo del Toro was staying. And so he returned all of it to the hotel and they were able to get it back to Guillermo del Toro. That's amazing. Yeah, he he gave the driver a huge tip and he says that he considers it like a positive omen for the film. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Pan because Pan is not actually in this movie at all. It's a fawn. Right. Pretty much everywhere else, this film is titled El Labyrinto de Fauno, which is basically the fawn's labyrinth but they changed it for american audiences because he thought they would not be as familiar with the fawn character of roman mythology as they would be with pan the greek god but again americans are not familiar with either so you could have gone either way (laughs) but yes the fawn in the film is never referred to as pan and is clearly a fawn so um that's just a a weird americanism But as he was making this, because he had made other movies and was kind of getting some buzz, he turned down a chance to direct The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to work on this movie. Good. Which is what this movie and this story reminded me of. yeah. Because it's British kids, World War II, escaping through a wardrobe instead of a labyrinth. Um, But I'm so excited that he directed this instead, because I have seen that Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it's fine, I guess. It's no pants labyrinth. Like... This movie, not even in the same league. So this movie won a ton of Academy Awards. So it wins Best Art Direction, Cinematography, and Makeup. And it also won three BAFTAs. And it swept the awards in Spain, winning nine Ariel Awards and seven Goyas. And was actually awarded Best Picture at the National Society of Film Critics. Not to mention tons of other smaller awards at different award ceremonies this is a highly decorated movie it was like the darling of the the circuit the festival circuit that year that's why it becomes such a huge hit in america and up until 2013 it was the highest grossing spanish language film in the u.s yeah we'll talk about that some in a second yeah yeah and those are our fun facts okay so then we'll talk about it now so thank you for your fun facts let's talk box office so what do you think the budget for pan's labyrinth was in 2006. I'm going to say if they'd made it in English, this would be like a 50 to 60 million dollar movie. And so I think they made it for like 25 million. Okay. Mikey, what do you think? 10. Mikey's actually closer. It was 16 million. Yeah. Damn. This looks amazing for 16 million. It really does. I mean, the CGI is the only part I don't feel holds up super well. But even for like low budget CGI in 2006, it's pretty good. Well, and there's so little of it. It's basically only the toad and the fairies. Yeah. Because everything else is practical. Well, and, and the bug, right? And the bug at the beginning yeah, that, that sort of follows that her bug through. Is oh, yeah, the bug. I guess that bug becomes yeah. one of the fairies. So, yeah. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this. Came out on December 29th, 2006. What do you think? Oh, and I'll tell you right now. It was 21st in the theater when it came out. That same weekend, uh, the bigger movies were, number one was The Night at the Museum. Number two was The Pursuit of Happiness. Then it was Dreamgirls. Then Charlotte's Web. And then The Good Shepherd. And then, of course, like 16 other movies. And then Pan's Labyrinth was at 21. What do you think it made in its opening weekend? And I'll give you a quick hint. It was only in 17 theaters in the U.S. 
This was a sleeper hit. So it did not make money until much later when it started getting all that award buzz and then everyone rushed out to see it. So I'm going to say for its first weekend, like 100000 All right, Mikey, what do you think? Same. So it actually made $568,000 in its opening weekend. That's a huge per theater average. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. So it, it was in 17 theaters. That's $33,000 per theater. The per theater average for the number one movie, The Night at the Museum, was $9,000 that weekend. Yeah. If you look at per theater average, which you never should, because that's not what attributes to box office necessarily, right. it crushed the number one movie that weekend. Well, it just means that people who knew what it was yes. and knew who Guillermo del Toro was came out in force to yeah. see it. Yeah. To all 17 of those theaters in L.A. and New York. Maybe one mm -hmm. in Chicago. Anyway, the next weekend, it went up in how much it brought in to $763,000, but was still only in 44 theaters. Two weekends after it was released, it, January 12th, that weekend, it was 16 in the theaters and made $2.1 million. It just climbed. No, it did. I mean, they kept adding it to theaters because it was in yeah. 194 theaters at that point. I think it, they did one of those like small runs to get it like eligible for awards. And that then, is like, what just... it was. Yeah. That's why it dropped the last weekend in December. Yeah. So it topped its domestic chart the weekend of January 19th. It hit number seven and it made $4.5 million. And it was still only in 609 theaters. That's nuts. Yeah. The number one movie yeah. was in 2051 theaters. The total amount of theaters, though, I looked it up, was right over 3,000. It was like 3,078 or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was only in 609 theaters and still brought in $4.5 million yeah. that weekend. And that's four weeks after it comes out. After that, it starts to drop down the charts more. But it was like it spent three weeks at number eight and then dropped to 11 and then five. It was in theaters from December 29th until June 8th. Yeah, I remember. It was in theaters forever because everyone was talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, and the Oscar buzz plays a lot into that, you know. Um, so anyway, what do you think it brought in domestically? And when I say domestically, I'm actually talking about the U.S., even though domestically for this film would be Spain. But what do you think it brought in in the U.S.? financially in 2006 i would say it probably makes its budget back at least just for the amount of time that it was out i'm gonna say it brings in 30 mil okay mikey what do you think 17 okay it made 37.6 million dollars nice. in the u.s and then went on to make 49.4 million dollars internationally for a total of 80 seven million dollars it then went on to make another 44.7 million dollars in domestic DVD and Blu-ray sales. So this crushed its budget of $16 million, yeah. making it a very big financial success. I really hope when the producer and director gave up their salary for this, they kept points on the back end. I hope so. I mean, I, because they made a ton of money if they did. Right. I think they gained a career, like huge career boosts out of it. Oh, they you both know? have international careers, but honestly, they both had international careers before this. I would say Alfonso Caron definitely did. I think this puts Guillermo del Toro on the map for the, the average person. Yeah. Like he, people who were super into film knew about him, but this made sure everyone knew about him. Well, I mean, it definitely put him on the map here in the u.s for sure yeah but anyway that's your box office for pan's labyrinth so mikey you want to hit him with that scary scale yeah listeners our scary scale is a scale of one to ten how scary we found the film today not a measure of quality just the scariness uh our one example is ghostbusters our 10 example is texas chainsaw massacre page 
a solid one for me, dog. Yeah, same. One for me. It's not scary. Yeah, me too. I give it a one. And that's our scary scale. If it's a quality <laughs> scale, I'd give it more like a nine or a ten. Like, it's a great movie. Everyone should see it at least once. Yeah, but it's not. It's the scary scale. So moving on. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. All right. So um, uh, this week, the listeners had us watch Pan's Labyrinth. What are you guys having me watch next week? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go ahead and cut until we finish the conversation, and then we'll cut back in when you guys have decided. Now that we've cut to literally 15 minutes later, what are we going to watch next week, guys? Not only have we figured out next week, we figured out the next 12 weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Buckle up, bitches. We got them locked down. So we just looked at a calendar for the first time and realized that there's five weekends in May. So you have one more week of Scary Day Mayo. Bonus bow, episode. Bow, bow, bow. For those margs. Yep, for Scary Day Mayo. Your last film is Borderlands. Yes. From 2007, starring Ryder Strong from Boy Meets World. All right. So your homework next week is to watch the 2007 Borderlands with the hunk from Boy Meets World. Yeah, the the bad guy. And you know because he's got a leather jacket. Yeah. So, Mike, do you have a review for us to read? Soon. Well, while you look one up, let me tell them how they can have their review run on the podcast. And that is to leave us a five-star text review. Mikey, who's you going to read this week? I'm going to read Anna Koki. Anna Karenina? Anna Kokaki 333. Wow, that honestly could have gone either way, and I'm glad it, it ended there. I'm doing my best. Okay. Anna Kokaki 333. <laughs> what does oh, she have to say? Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. A Nick OKE 333. If you look at the end of it, it says April, she, they. Well, April's not the username, and I'm sorry, but this is how I do it. Okay, so the review is entitled, Please Read Me. Oh, well, we're reading it, so I guess it worked. Thanks for the podcast. You're welcome. I, I enjoy it and Romance in the Pod every week. And I also vote for a third podcast, whatever genre. Oh, God. Science fiction. <laughs> I'm just going to call that the I Can't Empathize podcast. <laughs> when I first started listening, I assigned the drawing images of Todd and Mikey from Racing the Pod to the voices I thought matched, and then finally had to check, and was I ever wrong? Oh, so she thought you were me. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Mikey, I'm sorry, but that's a huge compliment for me. I still picture you all as each other in a weird podcast face-off situation. Oh, I would 100% do a face-off type thing with you, Mikey. Oh, I thought you were going to say I would 100% do an episode on face-off just because face-off is great. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, it's as much a horror movie as this one was. Yep. Five stars from April. <laughs> well, April, thank you so much for that awesome five-star review. We really appreciate it. And if you want to be like April and leave us a review, we might just read it too. So, guys, if you like this show but want to hear this power thruple on another movie review show about romance and romantic comedies, check out Romancing the Pod, where Mikey, Paige, and I break down and make fun of romantic movies. It's a lot of fun, guys. Check it out. If you want to follow us on social, please do. We are at Horror Virgin or online at HorrorVirgin.com. If you want to follow us all individually, you can do that as well. Paige is at Paige Wesley on Twitter or Rampage Wesley everywhere else, including 
TikTok. Mikey is at M Randolph 24 and I am at Todd J Awesome. If you like the show so much and you want to help financially support it, please do by going to patreon.com slash horror virgin where you can get a lot of great levels and a lot of great stuff like bonus episodes, director's cut episodes where they're a little bit longer and you get them actually a day earlier mm-hmm, than the mm-hmm. regular feed drop. We do a lot of great things like listener requests and stuff like that. So guys, check out yeah. the Patreon and help support the show. If you can't financially support the show, that's understandable. That's fine. But if you want to hang out with us on the daily, join the Facebook group uh, at facebook.com slash group slash virgin. We also link it like once a week. So just find it there and join the awesome Facebook group. And literally we're in there talking every day. It's awesome. And if you want to check out our Twitch stream, we're at twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome, where we will be playing horror video games. So if you have always wondered what it would be like to watch me get scared, you can now do that on Twitch while I play these horror games. It's twitch.tv slash Todd Awesome. Guys, check it out. It's a lot of fun for you. Not a lot of fun for me. This episode was brought to you by Nick Nick B. He, fun fact about Nick B, he is actually a prince in an underground kingdom. Oh, okay. That's a good one, Paige. Well, Nick B, congrats on your promotion to the monarchy this week. Uh, <laughs> this episode also brought to you by Ori. Ori. And Ori is a little bit of a trickster, and uh, they were trying to get me to steal my brother and um, bring them, bring him to the labyrinth. But instead, on our way to the labyrinth, they drove us into a foam pole. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ori, (laughs) man, that was a good prank, Ori. Oil pans labyrinth. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you got to laugh sometimes. This episode also brought to you by Awesome Possum Blossom. And Awesome Possum Blossom wants me to give you some awesome possum facts. So here's one for you. Possums, even though they seem like they might be fantasiful creatures, are real. Oh. (laughs) Full stop. Well, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. (laughs) If I learned anything from the week I said that they enjoyed eating Oreos, they're definitely real. I can't believe how many videos... People dropped in the Facebook group. Like, we got six or seven videos, different videos, of possums eating Oreos specifically. Well, possums will eat fucking anything. Yeah, they will, ladies. (laughs) So, this episode also brought to you by Brandon's Bug Business. And Brandon's Bug Business is actually called Bug Cage Company on Facebook. And if you have any needs for maybe like a spider, a scorpion, a centipede, or a millipede, or any other millipede that you might a milla need, reach out to Brandon's Bug Business or Bug Cage Company on Facebook for any practical or pranking purposes. This episode also brought to you by the letter Jeff, and Jeff wants you to check out his podcast, Kissing Jessica Jones, where each week they break down an episode of the Jessica Jones Netflix Marvel TV show. This episode's also brought to you by Taco Cat, and Taco Cat wants you to check out his podcast, What's the Fascist Shaking at Your Dick Wise? Where each week, <laughs> it's actually called What's New Barkeep? Whoa, 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 uh-oh. Where each week they talk about super nerdy shit like D&D or other super nerdy stuff, or even like more broader pop culture things like movies and TV shows and stuff like that, while they enjoy a new eccentric beverage. That is alcoholic We now return you to another Half-assed episode of uh, The, the Patrioticals This is whole I'm whole-assing this one today Okay <laughs> Eddie and Sasha Uh-huh 
and have landed on back on Earth. They took oh, a spaceship okay. back to Earth to invade Earth. Oh, they're invading Earth. They didn't just land there. They're like trying to take it over. Uh-huh. So where do they land? Where is the capital of Earth in this realm? Well, as you may have remembered, the Illuminati are in charge. So they landed in Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Chip and Dale met them in a flying submarine. They're like, what's up? And uh, Eddie talks to them in their chipmunk language. They have, oh, that makes sense, because Eddie can talk to animals, right? Right. Yeah. And he's like, what are the rescue rangers? What are you talking about? <laughs> ch 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 Illuminati, ch 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 when you're naughty. Holy shit, Paige, we both went and rhymed Illuminati with naughty, and that, to me, honestly, is a special true kind of friendship. That is a, it's true, it's true. something. It's something. <laughs> so anyway, Eddie is distracting them. Sasha injects them with mind control serum that she made. And then now Sasha and Eddie are in charge of the Illuminati. They basically rule the world. Wow. That was a, a quick escalation in their like duties and responsibilities. Yes. Cut to the mun. Right. It's a fucking mess. Yeah. I mean, possums killed everybody last episode. Plus, I hear it's dating John Mulaney. <laughs> 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 that is so topical but when this episode drops it won't be as topical but guys when you hear that joke think about it as if it was the day it happened yeah honestly if you go back and read the text messages that were leaked that she sent chris pratt while they were dating or whatever like they are x-rated as fuck it's amazing we've all been there <laughs> the only time mikey will text the p-word you're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway, uh the the they're still battling in, in the moon. The spaceships are crashing. It's a big space war. Uh Danielle, Queen of the Moon people, is in tears because um Her land has been destroyed. Her people were slaughtered by yeah. animals from space. And then uh so she is choking a space possum in her hands until the life comes out of its dead possumy eyes. He'll never eat an Oreo again. She's like, death to OPP. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> Other people's possums. You guys get it. You guys are with me. <laughs> uh, I, I, Evil Isaac and Evil Matthew are killing, but they've, you know, everybody's teamed up now against all the space uh, creatures or whatever. So Isaac eats a possum and he's like, it's better than you think. <laughs> oh no, it's not dead. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. He's got a stomach ache. It was just pretending. <laughs> Never swallow possum whole. You pervert. What is that? Why? Hey, if if you're gonna swallow possum whole, they should reciprocate. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh Tristam turns into a giant tank and is shooting at possums, they're all dying. Kate's using her psychic powers. Dave thinks that these that they're they have also have a they have a space python a skython yeah tank oh space tank out of they've stole it from the moon people who had a small army they stole all their equipment and are attacking our people with it uh and then dave uh the tank shoots and dave jumps in front of it and his body explodes and he saves everyone but he dies clearly he's in a hundred million pieces right now yeah right well, it's a good thing that tank only had one shot or whatever. Karun goes up to Dave's head and picks it up and says, you stupid man, that tank has more than one shot. <laughs> I feel like Karun can hear me. Yeah, Scott the Thing runs over and he ma Hulk smashed it. And uh, he's like, that Dave's guy's an idiot. And then, uh, <laughs> and I should know because I've got the, 
the abs and the dick of Kurt Russell. No, the shoulders. The shoulders and dick uh, and dick. hat of Kurt Russell. Yes. And hat of Kurt Russell. Yes. <laughs> As trophies. Yes. <laughs> In a grocery bag. <laughs> so so Karun throws the head and it accidentally hits Kate and she's knocked unconscious again and falls oh, to no. the ground. That's the wrong kind of getting head, guys. <laughs> and then evil Matthew laughs over her body and it's uh they're still not really learning the teamwork thing it seems like they're not because they're fully just fighting each other in the distance their space flying submarines from the illuminati are headed to them from earth and that's the end of the episode what are eddie and sasha gonna do now that they rule the world will trist tank do enough damage to save the day would you have considered that a whole ass episode find out next week on another episode of uh, the, the patreonicals that's going to be it for us, you guys. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And I'm your horror virgin, Todd. Keep it ooky spooky. Yeah. Have a great week. Oh, Mikey's singing there at the end. Let's see how it is. Oh, that was edited. I did not sing. <laughs> I edit nothing. Bye. Child murdering nerd. <laughs> Fascist nerds. <laughs>